What is a, yeah, it's kind of funny. And it's, it's probably, you know, as a doctor, you're going to hate me for saying this, <laughs> but there's, there's the risk and reward, right? Exactly. <laughs> Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we're talking with coach Ken Michael, host of Running Stupid, uh, the great podcast. And we're talking with him about recovery, rehab, and injury prevention when training for ultras. So the big question is this, how are runners like us who don't like hearing doctors say, just stop running, who know that we simply have to stay active, how do we heal in a way that lets us stay strong, maintain our running fitness, and keep preparing for the next race, and still heal without making the injury worse? Well, that is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Dr. Christopher Segler, and welcome to the Doc on the Run podcast. I got to sit down with one of the most interesting people in ultra running, and his name's Ken Michael. He's the host of the Running Stupid podcast. He's done a gazillion ultras, and he was actually willing to share his ambassador code for Ultra Running Magazine so you can get it at a discount. So if so, don't worry. We'll have the code at the bottom of the show notes page for this particular episode at DocOnTheRun.com. Now check out the episode. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Coach Ken, uh, thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Chris. I'm really excited. Yeah, I think this is going to be great. Now, before we get into all the questions, you know, specifically about recovery and all that kind of stuff, maybe just give us a little bit of background about um, your running history, why you became interested in uh, ultras and, and in coaching runners and stuff as well. Yeah, okay, sure. Um, I'm, um, I wasn't always a runner. Uh, I wasn't always in good shape. I was actually a big, heavy smoker uh, for most of my life. Yeah, like two and a half packs a day by the time I quit. It was, it was pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty much an addict, you know. And then, uh, <laughs> um, But yeah, I quit smoking and I just started eating whatever I wanted to eat. I didn't care as long as I wasn't smoking, right? And um, yeah, when the time came to take the weight off, I had heard that running was a good way to do that. Mm-hmm. And so, boom, I started running. Um, and I found that, yeah, I'm not fast at all, but I do have a gift for long and slow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, boom, I just ran with that. Um, and then, yeah, as far as the coaching goes, I think that it's really, I mean, I just, I really do love ultra running and I think it's just a great way. Like I, I'm, I'm very informal with the coaching. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's very fun, uh, just for beer money kind of stuff. Uh, like, yeah, I don't, it's not a career. It's never going to be a career if I do it right. Um, it's more because I love what I'm doing and because I, I want to share that love and inspire other people to enjoy the sport as well. So, yeah, oh, that's fantastic. But I mean, that really is the best way to go about it, right? When you take this thing that you really yeah, and truly so. love, you know, mm-hmm. and I mean, uh, this is a long, long time ago, but I went, um, to do this, uh, climb. It was mountaineering. We were having a plane fly us into the Alaska range and drop us off, you know? And this was like what seemed to be a pretty incredible experience we're about to have. Right. And interestingly, the, the morning that we were going to fly out, we're in Talkeetna, Alaska in this little, you know, hangar waiting for the, you know, plane with skis to take us in the mountains. And this guy roamed in and, you know, he was all dressed in his mountaineering stuff. And he was actually a mountain guide on Denali. Oh, cool. And, and I thought, man, how cool, like what an awesome job, right? Like just taking people up and down, you know, the biggest mountain in North America. And, and he's like, hey, what are you guys up to? And I said, well, we're going to the Hayes group. We're going to have them drop us off on this glacier. And we're going to try to do the whole South Ridge of Mount Deborah. 
And he goes, Oh man, I just wish I could do something like that. And still yeah. instead of slogging tourists up the West buttress, you know? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I was just kind of shocked. Like I was like, wow, you get to do that every day and you're like bummed about it. But well, the grass is always greener, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, exactly. But you know, it's true though. I mean, if you can take, you know, coaching people and something you truly love and helping them share in that experience in a way that, you know, isn't this pressure of you have some kind of quota you have to meet or whatever in order to meet your obligations. Mm -hmm. It really, I would imagine makes it a lot more enjoyable. And that experience just really speaks to that. Well, so, yeah. well I do it mostly actually just for the finish line pictures that they'll send me. Yeah, right. There <laughs> like, you yeah, go. I want a picture of you and a beer at the finish line. That's great. There you go. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. But that's it, right? Is it's, you know, it's such a different experience for everybody, depending upon where they are in their journey, whether they've ever finished an ultra or they're just trying to, or they're just getting into trail races and it can vary a lot. And, um, and, you know, along those lines, it's like, uh, because we're runners, we, like you said, like, if you want to just start running, you will lose weight invariably if you just start logging lots of miles. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times we kind of translate all that into the approach is that right, it's really right. about just logging lots of time on your feet, lots of miles, lots of hours, just being out on the trail as much as you can, all in preparation for some event. Um, we all want to feel strong. And we always think that, well, the more we run, the stronger we're going to feel and all of that. But really, you know, there's this other part of it that's a true necessity. And that's really the mental preparation for these long trail races. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. when something goes wrong, and you're like, uh, don't feel good, that's not good. And um, I was doing a 50 mile race last year. I turned 50. So I thought I'd do a 50 mile race. Sweet, and yeah. which one? Uh, it was the, uh, American river. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, American rivers, like actually as far as 50 milers go tr truthfully to tell myself, it is like probably one of the easiest ones. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's still 50 miles. Right? Exactly. It is still 50 miles. So it definitely counts, but it's not like one of the most brutal ones. But the thing is, is, you know, there's the, the first half of it is actually pretty flat, pretty easy and kind of boring because uh, it's kind of, I mean, it's not really boring, boring, it's but it's, bad. you know, yeah. it's not yeah. really like what you see, you know, people posting on Instagram running through the Alps <laughs> and stuff, <laughs> yeah, but totally. it is, it does have lots of really beautiful sections, but those yeah. come later. Yeah. And I remember this section where it was only about, you know, maybe 20 miles or 20, you know, two miles or something. And I actually felt horrible. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know why, but I was like, and I just remember like literally like looking at my watch going, man, if it feels that bad now, like this could be really horrible at 40 miles. Oh yeah. <laughs> but, but it didn't, you know, it kind of like, that was actually the worst part was probably okay. like 20 to 30 was mm -hmm. the worst Middle part miles, for me for thought. sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then once I hit 30, it was this mental thing where I actually realized I can totally do this. Like, if yeah. I can do 30, I can definitely do 40. If I can do 40, I can definitely do 50. And as soon as I hit 30, it was like somebody flipped a switch and whatever discomfort really didn't seem to matter or even play into the equation anymore. So how do you, you know, take people who, you know, like somebody that had not done a race like that and doesn't really understand that you're going to have these deep valleys that you may go into and you have to pull yourself out of mentally. Like, how do you work them up to that and how do you get them through it? Oh, man. Um, well, I mean, the biggest thing is, you know, experience is the best teacher, you know, yeah. and it's like when you do that first 50, it's like, holy smokes, can I do this? Can I do this? But once you've done it, then you're like, oh, I can do that, you know, yeah. and now the next 50 is going to get easier. And then when you go to your 100 mile, you're gonna be like, can I do it? And then you look back and you say, hey, I did the 50. Right. You know, and you build off of that. Right. Um, so it's just kind of the same concept. And so in training, you're going to do 
I don't know. I, I don't like to go too crazy. I like to train as much as you need and no more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, there's there's no point to cranking the dial to 11 for a lot of, I mean, depending on the circumstance. Um, but it's if you're if you're not recovering or if you're not doing well, then there's no point with that, right? Right. Uh, but if you're um, experienced, yeah, maybe the the best thing is to crank the dial to eleven. Um, yeah, but the big thing is is to you've got to find that experience somewhere, and I think training is the best way to do that. And a lot of times, for me, uh, training is actually more difficult than racing. Yeah. You know, no matter what the distance, I mean, anywhere from like 10 K to 300 miles. Well, no, I have hit three. Um, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, it it really is. It's, it's just pushing through and saying, Hey, you know, I have this experience to build on. I have this experience to build on. Um, I'll catch myself in training saying, Hey, you know, I ran, you know, like two fifty milers and three fifty Ks all in like a five week period. I'm fine. Right. You know, boom. And so it's, it's like, you just, have the experience and nothing I think really builds confidence more than knowing you can do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It does matter. And I mean, I guess that's where a coach comes in too, because Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the thing, right? Is that you don't really know for yourself, but you know, when it's true, like when a coach looks at you and, and they can see that you have this doubt and then as that runner in training who is sort of like skeptical of her own abilities, when a coach mm-hmm. says, Hey, look, man, I've been doing this a long time. I was right. in your shoes. I felt just the way you did. Like I coach all these different people. And when they're in your shoes, in your position, they feel just the way you did and right. you can do it. I did it. She did it. He did it. We can, we, you're going to do it too. And it really does make a huge difference. So like in that circumstance, then it's basically like they get to rely on your experience where you've done all of these cool things mm-hmm. and survived with those same doubts, yeah, exactly. you know? but I think we as individuals though kind of think that we're like uh, unique in some way that our fears are first time ever, you know, and, uh, and yeah, it's just well, not true. So, you know, but it's, it's first time they're dealing with them and that's very, yeah. right. right. Um, I think the the big thing with a coach too, I mean, a, there's the accountability is huge, right? You right. Know? It's a lot of times I know I wouldn't, if I didn't have a coach do a lot mm-hmm. of the things I do. Uh, but the other thing too is you you learn to trust your coach and you learn to say, hey, you know what? They haven't broken me yet, right? You know, and they've been right. You know, it's like if uh, you know they're pushing me a little outside my comfort zone, which where that's where you need to be to yeah. really you know get to where you want to go. Right. Um, so a good coach, yeah, will say, hey, you know what? So let's just nudge you just a little bit. I know you don't want to, but we're gonna do it anyway. Get out there, right? You know. Um, and then they, they build off that. But then at the same time, they also know when to say, hey, let's bring you back a little bit too. And mm-hmm. I think that's actually even harder to do than pushing somebody to say, hey, you know what? Come back. You know, right. slow it down. Let's see, you know, make it a little more sustainable. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. I mean, so I did an interview with uh, Lucy Bartholomew. Oh, yeah. And yeah, and she said, it was really interesting. One of the key things she said was, she said, you know, my coach actually said, uh, it's not my job to tell you what to do so much as to tell you what not to do. Because, like yeah, because yeah, she, but she was on that sort of the far end of the spectrum of somebody that would like push herself to the brink of, you know, mm-hmm. destruction, yeah. um, if not reined in. So the coach has to do both things and the coach has to know, like, when is it necessary to push you to do a little more because you're really not even coming close to your physiologic potential and you know, when do we need to pull you back? Because you're actually about to go over that potential and then you're just going to wind up sick or injured, which obviously right. is going to be the worst thing to Mm -hmm. Uh, prepare for a race you can't get sick or injured that's just the key right 
Yeah, and that's a good coach will help you kind of walk that razor's edge, you know, and that's, uh, that's, I think, the benefit to having one. Personally. Yeah. So that's got to be tough, though, as a coach, like trying to get people to, you know, walk that razor's edge and stay really close to that, you know, line between overtraining and maximal training, you know, in that space. It's got to be hard. And um, I know you've spent a lot of time training and coaching athletes of all different kinds of distances. And it is different what we do at different distances. Obviously, if you're going to run a 5K, what you would do to train for that is not going to be very effective as a, a basic approach to doing a 50 miler. Yeah, well, you know, yes, no. I mean, it's a yeah. lot of principles are still the same. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's a, you, I mean, just because you're running ultras doesn't mean you don't want to do your speed. Yeah, you right. Want to do, you know, uh, or your strength or your core, or et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it's it's just it's a different application of a lot of the same fundamentals. Yeah. So then you basically just turn up pieces of that based on the distance, would you uh, say? Yeah, and then you might want to get a little more specific for different challenges. You know, like mm -hmm. for instance, you know, if you're going to yeah do a road 5K, then I'm not going to push you out on the hills much. Yeah, right. You know, but yeah, if you're doing, well, American River, you're still going to do some trail work, but I'm still going to watch you on the pavement as well, right? Right. Uh, but if you were doing, say, I don't know, Headlands 100, then yeah, I'm going to want you out in the hills. I'm going to want yeah. you, you know, pushing, you know, I'm going to work on your hiking. I'm going to work on, you know, your strength work. You're, we're going to work on downhill. Mm -hmm. um, but we're also going to be doing speed work. I'm going to want you hitting the track. I'm going to want you doing hill repeats. I'm going to watch you, you know. So yeah, it's, it's all across the board, really. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, listen, I know a lot of runners, when we think about running injuries, we think about some specific thing. And I'm, you know, I lecture on running injuries and how to treat runners at medical conferences to physicians. I've been doing that for about 10 years. And doctors are the worst offenders at this because we are taught like, you know, perineal tendonitis is damaged to this one thing in your body. And that's the only thing we have to think about. And the only thing we have to take into our consideration when making your treatment plan, mm -hmm. and that obviously is crazy when you think about somebody oh, who needs to stay clean, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah exactly. It's all connected, all connected. too, right? Yeah. Like so, yeah. to th the way that we're sort of in Western medicine just taught this whole like you know compartmentalized anatomic piece treatment scenarios is kind of bizarre. But I know a lot of runners do this too, where we start thinking about things like you know, a specific injury and that it has to do with some kind of, you know, alignment issue. And that if mm -hmm. you just have different shoes or you just, you know, do a one different thing that's going to fix it. And a lot of times it's kind of a, a combination of things. And mm -hmm. I know, you know, a lot about, you know, what happens with these injury patterns and, um, and you have a little bit of a different take on some of these injury patterns based on kind of different events and different distances. And yeah. so, you know, what can you tell us about uh, how these sort of patterns of injury seem to kind of change or how they might differ a little bit with different specific distances or different kind of running goals? Well, it is, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny. And it's, it's probably, you know, as a doctor, you're going to hate me for saying this, <laughs> but there's, there's the risk and reward, right? Exactly. <laughs> and it's, um, I, I found it's actually kind of funny. You'll see in beginning marathoners, they're going to have shin splints. Uh, beginning uh, trail ultra runners are going to have IT band issues and beginning mm -hmm. multi-day runners are going to have tendonitis. Yeah. And they're all going to ignore them pretty much. <laughs> just kind right. of be like, you know, risk and reward. Um, and then for instance, yeah, you're going to find like in a training run, no, I'm not going to deal or I'm not going to push myself to the point where I'm going to have these issues. Right. Right. Uh, but if I'm running for six days straight, then yeah. I mean, it's at that point, the defining, um, factor, I guess, in multi-day is when you get injured. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a repetitive stress for days on end, right? So it's, it's yeah, it's going to happen. Um, I mean, it doesn't always happen. And there are folks who can take very good care of themselves who are built up for it. Yeah. But I mean, how do you build yourself up to running 144 hours, right? You know? right. <laughs> uh, so that's it. There's, it's, there's a point where you, you, you know, I mean, and it, I have to be careful saying this, you know, but there's a point where you do make that decision. Do I, you know, damn the torpedoes, let's just go in there and see what happens. Or do you say, hey, I need to play it safe. Um, you know, and a very easy example would be uh, um, running, say, your first 100 miler. And mm -hmm. a lot of times people be like, whoa, I'm getting blisters. And it's like, yeah, that happens. Yeah, right. You know? And for a lot of people, it's a game changer. I've seen people drop out of races because of them. And mm -hmm. once you've done enough of these, it's like, hey, you know what? It's just a blister. Right. You know, and kind of the same thing. You know, if, if your, your goal marathon that you've been training for, you know, the whole year, and it's like, oh, well, it's, it's just um shin splints you know uh you know it's something i'm, I'm gonna just you're just gonna have to deal with it whatever you know and then we can re re rehab it after you know yeah exactly. um, yeah uh you know and, and i don't know i mean i don't really advocate running through injuries you know <laughs> uh and i i don't think people should intentionally hurt themselves but there is a time when you're like hey you know what if it means you know i'm gonna nail that goal and you know and it, and, and it doesn't mean long-term damage right i guess exactly it's you know so that's yeah yeah so it's uh if if you can yeah it's really tough too i mean i, I don't want to recommend anybody go out there and hurt themselves for sure. yeah right <laughs> we don't want people to damage themselves right yeah, but i'm in complete totally. agreement with you here and this is actually what i lecture on most to physicians mm -hmm. you know is like uh, i was doing a lecture recently in lake tahoe at this it was an international foot and ankle foundation meeting it's all foot and ankle surgeons podiatrists you know doctors and you know and i and i did this talk on the standard of care and I was talking about, you know, like this is basic thing, this idea of the Hippocratic Oath, right? About how we're not supposed to do any harm to anybody. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But that's even translated to like this absurd notion. And I say, okay, well, basically like, you know, and I present all this research in the medical literature about how injured runners, when they get casted, when they're put on crutches for multiple weeks at a time, mm -hmm. all of these things that are done is a routine course of action that are within the standard of care that any doctor in the community would say, Oh yeah, that's totally reasonable that those things can and often do permanent damage to a runner's capacity to finish the races in the times that they want in the future, you know, permanent muscle atrophy, permanent mm -hmm. changes in neuromuscular connections, things that they will never be able to actually fully repair. And I say, look, the fact is, is that if you take a runner, who has shin splints and they want to do a marathon, they're not going to die from their shin splints. Yeah, it's not hurt. going to cause permanent damage. Yeah. Now, if they have like a, you know, partial tear in their Achilles tendon, I probably would not encourage them to run a hundred mile race on it yeah, unless it's a, you know, a very rare circumstance. And, um, you know, I, I did the, um, the Ironman world championships with pneumonia, but it took me nine yeah, years to qualify. <laughs> and I didn't really care. So, you know, that, but that was a yeah. once in a lifetime opportunity. And I think it's a doctor's responsibility to figure out that risk and reward that you're talking about, like what is actually reasonable and what is not reasonable. And you're right. If you feel a blister and it hurts and you drop out of a, you know, Western States 100, there's something yeah. wrong with you. Yeah. Like, not that we should encourage people to hurt themselves, but the fact is that is not going to kill you. Right. Well, the definition of injury changes, I think, with goals and with distance and with, yeah. You know. Exactly. And damage yeah. and extent yeah. of damage, right? So this whole idea that you have to uh, imprison a runner against their will 
to prevent them from having any pain, I think is ridiculous. That's different than permanent injury. And, um, you know, and so I think it's, you know, so important for runners to really make that assessment for themselves. And, and what I do with runners is I basically, as soon as I start talking to them, I'm like, okay, what is your goal? And if their goal is to, you know, qualify for Boston or finish Western States 100 or your bad water or something else, like, okay, well, that's a huge goal. It's going to take a lot of work and you're probably going to have to suffer somewhere along the way. And you have to decide what suffering is reasonable and what's unreasonable Mm. so that you don't get messed up. Um, But, you know, it is completely reasonable. And actually, and in the same conference in Tahoe, I had, um, or might've been in Hawaii, but anyway, one of the recent ones, somebody, I was talking about stress fractures and about how I basically talk to them. I figure out what their goals are. If the goal is important to them, I most often let them run the race with a stress fracture but I help them figure out how to reduce the stress to that bone so that they can actually do it. And one of the doctors in the audience raised his hand at the question and answer thing. He said, I'm just curious. Like, I know you, you know, tell people that they could break it. They might have to have surgery if they break it, but you know, like, do you do that most of the time or some of the time? I said, well, it's actually most of the time because most of the time when people get that kind of injury, it's like four to six weeks before their race. They've been training for many, many months and they really would rather just do the race if they're not going to screw it up. So I have this talk with them and I'll usually let them run. And he said, but how many times in let's say the last 10 years, how many times has a runner done that and they've broken the metatarsal where the stress fracture turned into a full on pathologic fracture and you had to take him to surgery and fix it. So the number is actually precisely zero. Wow. Not one time has it ever happened. Now that doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. And it doesn't right. mean that it couldn't happen to me if I did it myself. Right. But it does speak to the fact that I think this whole idea of like tell everybody to cancel their races and put them in fracture walking boots or crutches is a little bit over the top kind of cautious. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be that way. And there are choices, right? We get to choose whether or not we're crazy enough to do something like bad water. Mm-hmm. There's definitely going to be suffering in that of all varieties. Right. And you know, so, but it's not the doctor's call. I think it's the runner's call. It's the athlete's call. And it's probably a lot more appropriate for the coach to make that call than the person's physician that they just spent five minutes with. Well, no, all of the above, right? I mean, it's, it's a group effort. I would think, I think it's the runner's call. Yeah, well, it is the runner's call. Absolutely. But I mean, truthfully, like a coach who is, you know, really paying attention to somebody and watching their oh, yeah. progression and their setbacks and how quickly they come out of those setbacks, I think has certainly a more personal um, connection and certainly a much deeper viewpoint than most doctors do. Yeah, um, you, you have that relationship. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So in terms of like avoiding that kind of trouble, you know, because any overweight and training injury is really just where you train and cross that threshold for injury. You do a little bit too much tissue damage before that piece is fully recovered. And, you know, and I really think runners don't have to run less. They need to recover more. Oh and, yeah. 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 So sleep is one of the, the key things with that, right? Like sleep is free. It's available to all of us. It's just a mm-hmm. matter of how much we use it. So what do you do? Like when you're training, is oh. there anything in particular you do with regard to sleep that you're deliberate or intentional about that you think really helps you recover in yeah. your training? I am asleep is my number one. Uh, really? You know, I mean, it's, it's and I, I tell my uh, coaching people, I fight with them over that. I'm like, no, you need to sleep. I'm like, that's, that's more than anything else. Turn off the TV. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I do. I, a lot of tricks. I usually nine to 10 hours a night if I can. Is that right? Uh, oh, yeah. Um, right now, with all the shelter-in-place weirdness and everything going on, the anxiety, I haven't, uh, haven't been doing that well with that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, usually nine to 10. Um, and then, uh, yeah, oh, pretty much everything. Uh, one of my favorite tricks is turning off the lights uh, an hour before you go to bed. Mm-hmm. You can, and just you know, sit in the dark, and then you'll just be able to fall asleep right away. Uh, if you aren't sleeping, get out of bed. You know, and and don't sit there because you don't want to associate being restless, whatever, with being in bed. You just want to be in bed to sleep. Yeah, Uh, yeah, it really works well. Uh, Sunglasses, if you're if you're going to be around uh, light uh, in the evening, will help. Uh, And then I love my weighted blanket too. It's 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 amazing. Yeah. (laughs) So. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah those are some that I haven't actually heard of. I've never heard the sunglasses thing, but it totally oh, yeah. makes sense, you know? Yeah. Um, we uh, lights really makes a huge difference. Yeah, crazily enough, at my job, um, I'm a waiter, but we uh, every once in a while have like a um, speaker series for the employees, and we had a sleep doctor come oh. in, uh, you know, doing all sorts of research studies and that and the other thing. And she gave us a lot of the tricks I was just telling you. Wow. Um, and that's, yeah, I got that from her. She was like, yeah, so when you have to take the bus home at night from work, just put your sunglasses on. You know? Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. People think you're weird, but you'll go to sleep right away. You know, that's great. Um, but the biggest thing I think too is prioritize it. You know, so many people don't make it a priority in their lives. You know, it's a, it's a secondary. Right. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, a friend of mine, um, Magda Boulay, um her she's got a great expression and she says recovery is training yeah you know and it, it's so true you know I mean, if you if you don't focus on that aspect you might as well you know whatever you're just going to beat yourself up more mm-hmm. in these workouts if you're not absorbing them so you know it's is treated as a part of training that's that's great yeah i mean you know a long time ago i was talking about uh ice baths and stuff with somebody and mm-hmm. and he said he goes well i don't you know i don't it just seems like such a hassle and it seems like it's so uncomfortable i was like seriously man do you think mile repeats are comfortable i right. mean yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like when you think about it in that respect man this is a thing you're talking 10 or 15 minutes you're not talking about like you know 45 minutes of genuine suffering it's like suck it up you know do you want to train or not this is what you call training it's a bunch of uncomfortable stuff that makes things work better. And yeah, thinking about sleep in that same way, you know, like I have a, um, I have a sleep alarm on my phone. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, like, that's it. I mean, that's it. So, I mean, I get up really early, you know, I usually get up around four or four thirty, And so oh, yeah. like eight thirty, I have this sleep alarm that goes off. That's like, okay, dude, time to like hit the sack, you know? Um, and it really, but you have to be very intentional about it. I think, you know, we always think that, Oh, we'll sleep when we're tired. Yeah. Yeah, Right. Yep. Yeah. So what about after the events, you know, when you do something that's really brutal, whether it's just a, you know, a hundred miler or a multi-day event and the events over, what about that? I mean, a lot of athletes, you know, we, we kind of, I think because we spend so much time planning for the event and thinking Mm -hmm. about the event and visualizing the finish line and all these other things, the visualization and planning kind of stops at the finish line. We don't really, right. Um, you know, yeah. come up with a concrete plan of like, well, what are you going to do after the event? Like, you know, what are you going to do to get rid of all that inflammation and the swelling and everything else and take care of yourself? But what do you do, um, uh, you know, for, uh, your long events and your big training blocks? Like what kind of advice can you give everybody listening about, you know, the plan to immediately recover after those big events and big training blocks. Yeah. Um, the biggest thing, I mean, my favorite trick, uh, is, you, you know, you'll finish the race and then, you know, like a good few hours, like later that evening, uh, I usually like to go out and walk a mile or two. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just kind of before things have a chance to lock up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I found like, yeah, it's much easier the next day if you, you keep those legs fluid. Yeah. Um, really makes a big difference. And then, yeah, I mean, I'm, there are times when you do need to sit on the couch, you know, for a while. Um, you know, like, yeah, I, I, uh, after running uh, six days in the fair last year, or no, I'm sorry, six days in the dome, rather. Um, I, uh, oh, what did I take? I took a good, like, four days where I didn't even do anything, you know, but I had to. I was, you know, yeah. I slept for 10 hours in six days. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty, pretty crazy. But usually what I try and do is get out the next day. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, nothing big, nothing crazy. Um, my coach gives me a great term for that one. She calls it love running. Oh, yeah. And you run just the miles you love. You know, never forget it. You know, there's, there's no pressure. There's no whatever. Just get out there. You know, uh, recovery pace, though, absolutely. You know, like slower than warm up pace. You know, just mm-hmm. very, very, you know, practically a walk. Yeah. Um, but just get, you know, get things flowing, get things warmed up a little bit and keep things moving is the best, best thing you can do. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah and I, I, uh, I guess that's a kind of, it seems like a tall order, you know, to take that, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. walk in the evening after an event, you know, or a big training session. And, uh, but it makes so much sense to like really kind of just, yeah. you know, all of that motion is going to move a lot of that, you know, inflammatory fluid and stuff out, mm-hmm. like you said, before you lock up and, I would imagine that would make a huge difference, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that little walk after that race, I mean, that's, uh, for me, I mean, yeah, I can knock out like 50 mile or day to day to day to day just as long as I keep doing the recovery things like that. Yeah. You know? um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a matter of just keeping the blood pumping you know, yeah. and that makes a huge difference. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, those are pretty good tips. I mean, those are things I haven't really, you know, thought about or really heard before. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. But you know, I mean, I've heard lots of different athletes talking about their secret weapons, you know, what they, mm-hmm. you know, their <laughs> special recovery smoothie that they always do, that kind of stuff, uh, massages, uh, naps, whatever. But aside from those things you've already talked about, like what else do you think of as sort of your secret weapons and strategies that you really are keys to <sighs> keeping you out of that overtraining zone? You know, I mean, yeah, once again, it's that razor's edge we were talking yeah. about before. Right. Um, but I think really paying attention to your body mm-hmm. is huge. You know, uh, sleep, you know, as we were talking about is the number one. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's, that's another thing too, going back to sleep uh, is people think, you know, like training doesn't make you stronger. That's right. You know, training breaks you down. It's when you sleep that you adapt to that training and that's when you become strong. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I think sleep is huge after events. Um, good nutrition, of course. You know, I, I think a big thing too um, is, you know, like right after an event, you're going to be like, oh, pizza and cheeseburgers. Yeah. You know, right. and of ice cream. What the hell? I just ran a hundred miles. I can do this. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you can, you know, um, but it's probably best to save that for a few days. Yeah. Um, you know, get some good nutrition in for the next first few days, give your body what it needs. And then after a while, then go ahead and have that big celebration, you know, have yeah. that great dinner out or whatever. Um, and at that point too, you know, you'll enjoy it more. Yeah. You know, Cause I mean, honestly, like, yeah, I mean, I'm, and I'm, I'm a huge uh, culprit of that too. I'll have like that post-race pizza. You know, and I'll, I'll eat parts of it and I'll just fall asleep on it, you know, and yeah. it's like, yeah, you know, <laughs> but, you know, if I wait a few days, then I'm like, oh, this is great. You know, so that's a, yeah, yeah, big thing. That's interesting. And it's true. It's like, but it's so interesting too, because so many athletes who will, you know, there's like, ser- I mean, I used to do this too. Like when I do speed work and stuff, I would make like my recovery smoothie 
in advance. I would take it with me so that when I would actually do my cool down, I would drink it while, so like, you know, within 10 minutes it was in because I'm like, oh, you got to have all the, you know, the appropriate nutrients and the building blocks in there, all the antioxidants, everything, mm -hmm. right? Well, and I'm then, sure you, you know, but then you do a race and you're like, oh, what's the difference, man? They got M&Ms. Look, they got, you know, right. uh, and it's so the interesting thing is that in that time when you actually have your hardest effort, this mental thing comes in, which says, oh, the rules all fly out the window now when you actually really most need to be, you know, putting nutrients in that'll rebuild that tissue, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, I'm sure you probably mentioned this on the show too, uh, but there is that, uh, let's say, 30 minute window. Yeah. After exercise. And that is really good to think I have like that. I have my, uh, my coaching folks do that. I'll say like, you know, and you're in your finish line drop bag, put, you know, some sandals and a recovery something mm -hmm. uh, and get that in right away because your body is like a sponge, Yeah, you know, for like a good 30 minutes after, you know, until you've cooled down. Yeah. So that's the time, especially that, that, that window is crucial. Yeah. Just do what you can. And that's, yeah. that's after good workouts too. So. Yeah, well, that's a, that's another good tip too. Like some sandals that you think are comfortable that you can wear after the event. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, when, yeah, when I did that fifty miler, actually, uh, you know, there was there's a lot of poison oak on that run. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> super allergic to poison oak, so you know it's okay. I was I actually did well. Like I put Tech New on and stuff before I even started, um, uh -huh. and I was wearing you know cap sleeves and stuff to you know mostly keep my legs covered and all. But you know, we got to the finish, and um, I didn't think about the sandals. But, oh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. but I was like, okay, well, my shoes were kind of beat up anyway. And we're like walking through the area, you know, the little sort of finish area with the food and all that. And there was a big trash can. And I like just basically took my shoes off and threw them in the <laughs> trash can. And, and Diane was like, what are you doing? And I, she's like, did you just throw your shoes in the garbage? I never want to see these again. I was like, no, they're, I was like, they're kind of done anyway. A man with the poison oak and stuff. I'm just like, I'll, you know, two weeks from now, I'll get poison oak putting them on or something. And, I just, and then, but then I was like hobbling around on the asphalt barefoot oh. <laughs> after a 50 miler, which was, you know, kind of like ridiculous, but right. that's a pretty good tip too. So food and sandals, right? Yeah. Well, a curl level tip here too, bathrobe. Oh, yeah. Finish line? Oh, my God, it's awesome. <laughs> uh, that's a great idea, actually. Yeah. yeah. There was a guy along those lines of things you wouldn't ever think of. Um, there was a guy I used to climb with. His name was Sandy. He was from Scotland. Mm -hmm. We climbed El Capitan and Yosemite together. And it, it, took, us, um, it took us six days. You oh, know? wow. And um, we got to the top and Sandy's he got all excited. Like we're at the top, we're getting ready to do the hike off. And he goes, all right, this is my one present. I always give myself at the top of a climb. And he dug down around in the hall bag and he pulled out a brand new pair of socks ah. <laughs> in the package, you know? And he was like, I get to wear fresh socks. And he took his dirty socks off and like threw them back in the bag. And I was like, I never would have thought of that. But I guess the things that make you comfortable, you know, oh, after yeah. a hard effort makes sense. Totally, totally. So, it's little things, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So now when the race is over like that and you're trying to do something to make yourself feel better and you're trying to feel more comfortable, like what do you really do? Because I know some pieces, you know, some people, if they're at an event where it's like kind of a resort destination or something, they'll stay there and stay and kind of call it a vacation. Some people <laughs> go somewhere else where it's going to be better for them. Like a lot of people like us, if we do a big trail race and it's in the mountains well then we're tempted to like spend a lot of time running in the mountains because that's what we want to do when we're in the mountains right and you know some people can't do that because it's not easy for them so 
how do you go about deciding like your plan right after the race? Like, you know, do you just sit oh. around or do you take a time off or do you try to, I mean, obviously with a multi-day event, you have to, cause yeah, you can't have sleep, to, right? you know, yeah. 10 hours and six days. Right. Mm -hmm. And not sleep afterward, but what do you do and what do you coach your athletes to do after those huge goal races? Yeah, it really depends. Um, well, I mean, the big thing too is defining your goals, right? I mean, I have A, B, and C races, you yeah. know, and so an A race, I'll do like maybe two a year. Mm -hmm. um, and those are the big races where you're going to do go all out, you know, it'd be like, hey, you know, let's, um, uh, for instance, yeah, it's um, the Hurt 100 will go down. It's in Hawaii. Yeah. And so, yeah, we'll stay for the week. Yeah. You know, and it'll be like, yeah, you know, so the day after we'll probably end up on the beach or something like that. Whereas, you know, I'll just lay down on the beach and say, well, just leave me there. Go have fun. Um, yeah. And so that, that would be a big thing, but for, you know, like B races, I really, no, I just keep going. Uh, C races are just training runs, you know, yeah. so I don't even, um, yeah. So it really depends on the goal. Uh, for me, the big thing though, is as long as I can still kind of stay a little active, it's a good thing. You know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and just enjoy yourself, though. I mean, this is, this is a celebrate the accomplishments, especially the big races. Right. Yeah. Uh, because this is something you, you have you work very hard for, you know, and you, you should celebrate these finishes. Yeah. You should, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, for me, too, I, I do have a tendency to just go event to event to event to event to event. Um, I'm not as bad as it. Uh, these days, because I am doing multi-day, mm -hmm. uh, and you, you just can't stack that many races. But I used to run 16 ultras a year. Wow. You know, so it's like, it's just, you go boom, 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 and you just event to event to event. And yeah, it's it's after a point, you're kind of like, eh, you know, it's it's just another race, you know? So it's, yeah, I, I think it is very important to celebrate those things. Yeah, no, that's great. Yourself. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, that's true, right? You did earn it, and, yeah. uh, and you should celebrate it. Yeah, so I know you've done lots and lots of races, all different kinds of races, all different distances, you know, just long races, multi-day races, all of that. And I would imagine in a, an enormous range of settings and experiences. And so of all the races you've done, like, you know, I guess my question is like, what, you know, which, which event was the most memorable? If there was somebody who was, you know, one of your buddies who'd been like running a long, long time and they decided I'm going to do a, you know, a switch from, you know, 20 years of road racing. I just want to do one unbelievably spectacular ultra of all the ones you've ever done. Like, what would you tell them to do? Uh, well, I wouldn't tell them to do this because it's hard to get into and I want to keep my foot. <laughs> 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 uh, but the, uh, the Hurt 100. Really? Definitely. That's my, oh gosh, it's, it's my favorite event in the world. Wow. Um, kind of a, a little bit of a story on that. The first year I ran it, um, I was way out of my league. I, I was nowhere in the shape I needed to be to finish. Um, I had never finished a hundred miler. I barely finished a couple 50 milers. Um, and I, I was like, I, a friend of mine told me about it. It was like, yeah, it was, it was, you want to do something stupid, do this race. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, well, it has a 36 hour cutoff, you know, and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't make the 31 hour, 31 or 32 hour, I don't know, something uh, in the Marin Headlands. So I was like, oh, well, it's 36 hours. I could surely do that. No problem. Uh, until I got down there and I was like, whoa, <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it was funny in this race, it took me, I think 26 hours to get to, I think it was, yeah, 26, it sounds about right. Or maybe even 28. I don't know. Uh, but forever, uh, I was 15 minutes to spare before the course closed for the hundred milers at the hundred K cutoff point. 
Wow. Um, and it That's was not a good feeling, huh? Actually, it was amazing. It was, I was, it was crazy. Really? It was one of the hardest things I'd done in my life. And I worked so hard to get to that finish. Um, and it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I was just, they heard me coming from like a mile away, uh, bawling my eyes out. Uh, it was just, it was insane. And the crazy thing is like, I mean, somewhere I was, yeah, just having a really rough time at the race. And then somewhere in the middle of the night, I just embraced it. And I was like, well, it is what it is. You know, uh, I'm not going to finish, but I'm going to make the absolute best of it I can. And uh, yeah, I got to that point. Uh, at that time, there was still a 100K race option too. So there was a buckle and it was a finish. It's not anymore. Um, and that was it. Yeah, I just, I really kind of fell in love with the experience and somehow uh, Hurt kind of fell in love with me. And yeah, I mean, it's now I've run the event 10 times. Um, I'm a member of the Hawaiian Ultra Running team, which is really kind of a cool thing. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's the most amazing event in the world. Um, I always tell people like Western States is such a big deal, right? And they have like 22 aid stations mm -hmm. and they're great aid stations, you know, tons of volunteers, really well done. Now take Western States and condense that into three aid stations because it's a 20 mile loop course that goes. And um, that's it, you know, and so these aid stations are incredible. You know, it's one uh, is actually um, run by a Michelin rated chef. Um, all the food is handmade, um, you know, just really with love and intent, uh, a lot of Hawaiian treats and things like that. Uh, the course is super brutal. Um, it's, it's one of the craziest things out there. The stories are all true. We'll just leave it at that. Uh, but the crazy thing is, is it's kind of like, almost like Stockholm syndrome. Mm -hmm. Like it's, if you don't know somebody at the uh, starting line, they're your best friend at the finish. Like just because okay. going through something that ridiculous together something that hard you know and struggling like that and it is like even for the front runners like it's it's when that gun goes off or the cold shell blows however you want to look at it um they're still under the gun too you know it's just like it's it's tough it's it's just crazy so wow yeah, so it's very very difficult to get in though right like uh it's getting much harder yeah, yeah. uh the first year i ran uh you could sign up like right until race day um but uh yeah they've moved to lottery and uh yeah i actually didn't get in this year oh so, wow yeah, went down and volunteered, years, so. huh? yeah yeah it was that was a little tough yeah. um but uh yeah it's a uh, they, they've kind of changed the format um because the, the the big thing is the way uh they work it is you know like whereas western states wants to have a very transparent and fair policy whatever mm -hmm. uh at least until this year uh hurt was more like hey it's our race we want to do what we want to do right we're doing it for fun uh the mission statement is uh no profits no blank holes we'll uh uh, you know, uh, and it's true, you know, they, they say, Hey, you know what, we're, we're not making any money off of this. We're going to do what we want to do. We want to stack this race in the most fun way possible. Right. You know, so, uh, so they wait the lottery to get in mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, yeah. So I still missed out on the lottery, even though I, I did have extra nuts in the lottery, but yeah, uh, yeah it is what it is. So. Wow. Yeah. So I know there are lots of races like that, right? Like, like a uh, bad water, you know, same kind of thing, right? Like it's they well, Badwater. I don't know if they do. I don't know. Actually, I mean, I, I don't I keep up on Badwater, but uh, yeah, I think right. it's just by application. I don't yeah. think it's by lottery. So. Right. No, but that's what I mean. So you have to apply, but they kind of pick who they want. Right. You know? Right. And yeah. it's their race. They can do whatever they want. They don't have to, mm -hmm. you know, have some transparent, fair thing because they decide they don't want to do that. Right. 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 And there are some events like that still. Um, 
but yeah, so the Hurt 100s, that's, uh, that's interesting. So it, it really is as bad as they say, huh? Oh, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, rocks, roots, mud. Um, the last couple of years, it, it hasn't been that hot. Uh, it's been rainy, though. This year it was nice and muddy. Uh, but like uh, four or five years ago, um, what was it? It was in upper 90s with 100% humidity. So the heat index was 110 degrees. Yeah. And it doesn't really cool down at night. So right. yeah, yeah. It's, it's just, it can get really rough. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, what do you, uh, you do? You like load hydration wise, or like what do you do? Like as a strategy, just to well, I, like, I don't think you can really load, right? Because you just, I mean, it's I do uh, heat train mm-hmm. um, for months going into it. Like yeah. I'll be in the sauna, um, so you do build plasma volume. You right. Know, so in that sense, I guess you can load, right? Yeah, I mean in that sense, uh, yeah, because you are preparing for that. It's a, you know, it, I mean, it's it's not like carbo loading in the old sense where you oh, just yeah, yeah, totally. tons of pasta you'll be like good for days it's not like that but still you can if you really train your body appropriately then that mm-hmm. will help you yeah, know? yeah um but yeah that's the thing too i mean you do want to be hydrated all the time but right. I mean, there's i think that's uh, one of those things like once you top out mm-hmm. and the hydration you're not gonna be able to top off right, right. or up right you know yeah. uh so you're just gonna pee more you yeah know? That's exactly right. uh, yeah so just stay hydrated going into it. But yeah, the, the sauna training to build the plasma volume helps, I think, a lot mm-hmm. there. And um, yeah, I think that's, that's the biggest thing for that preparation. I do carry a lot more fluids on that course. Yeah. Um, like the aid stations are seven, five, and seven miles-ish uh, between. Uh, and I usually carry 26, 30. Uh, about 56 ounces oh, uh, wow. between That's each aid station. Yeah, yeah. And in midday in the high heat, I'll run out between on the five mile leg. Wow. You know, because, yeah, you're going through it. Like, you're just constantly, like, even before the gun goes off, you're a puddle of sweat. You know, it's kind of, yeah. Well, that's that's the key, right? I mean, you can you can go without food, but you cannot go without water. And if you get right. dehydrated, your vent's over. I mean, you can, but not for long. Yeah. And it hurts right. like hell. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, event like that, if you're, you know, 30 miles in, you really get dehydrated. There's no oh, way. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When the thing, too, with an event like that is you're going to get dehydrated. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's you cannot stay ahead of that curve. You mm-hmm. know, it's matter, well, I mean, maybe you can if you're really in amazing shape right. uh, and you're not pushing hard. Mm-hmm. But the only folks that um, have that luxury are maybe some of the front runners, you know. Uh, everybody else, like that, that gun goes off and they're already fighting cutoffs. You know, right. it's, it's kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which is kind of the half the fun with that event too, is like, you yeah. can't, I've tried it. Uh, you just cannot pace it well. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. 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 So, so that obviously hydration really matters for just mm-hmm. finishing an event like that. That's obvious, but what's probably less obvious is like what effect the hydration has on your risk for injury. What do you think about that? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, it's uh, anything else too. I mean, you think muscles are mostly fluid, right? right. You know, so yeah, when you, um, you know, do get dehydrated, then things start to hurt a little bit. They start to grind a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, you blister easier right. when you're dehydrated, right? Um, I only once, knock on wood, uh, ended up uh, peeing blood. Yeah. And it was that year. It was 110 degree heat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that was horrible. Uh, I couldn't even, it was crazy too. Like I lost control of my legs actually. Wow. Like I, it was, I was stumbling around and uh, it, it happens to folks occasionally out there. Um, 
yeah, it was pretty scary on that super technical course, right? But it's, uh, yeah, yeah. So those are big ones, but I think, yeah, I mean, it's, we do want to keep going and keep, you know, and the other thing too is, you know, the headaches and the you know, whatever big issues. Yeah. Um, and yeah, hydration is important and it's, it's, it's easy in a, in a hot environment. It's easier to focus on that too, but in cooler weather, it's just kind of, you, you need to pay attention to it as well. Yeah. Um, not sure I'm a big fan of the whole drink to thirst thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, but yeah, it's, um, you just kind of have to pay attention. I think, right. you know, I mean, for me, I'm like, yeah, take a sip every time you think about it. Done. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. I saw this thing. This is, you know, many, many years ago, but it was, I was reading all these books on mountaineering when I was doing that stuff long ago. Mm -hmm. And, and I remember, um, I can't remember who it was that said it, but he said, basically a successful mountaineer is someone who will drink when they're not thirsty and eat when they're not hungry. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it's the same thing in ultras, right? It's exactly the same deal. It's like you just have to stay ahead of it. You yeah, know, well, what's the adage? Until you're thirsty, you know? Yeah, well, that's, that's kind of an old adage for that, too, is, yeah, drink before you're thirsty, eat before you're hungry, walk before you're tired. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, that's awesome. And I think for me, too, and this is, this is one thing I definitely, it's, it's a hard lesson for certain of my clients, but, <laughs> but one I really, really try and push through is there is a time in an ultra for self-care. Mm -hmm. And then there's the time to throw all caution to the wind. Right. You know? And you're going to have 10 miles in an event or, you know, depending on, the, you know, let's say in a hundred miler, uh, 10 miles where you're going to say, Hey, you know what, <clears throat> whatever, just throw it all out. And you right. can do that at the beginning of the race and suffer, or you can do it at the end of the race. It's right. You know, um, so I think the best thing to do, and it's, it's so funny because if you really, really pay attention at pretty much every ultra you go to, you're going to see 90% of the field is going to go out hard. Yeah. They're going to like beat the snot out of themselves early and then suffer through it and be like, oh, yeah, I'm a tough ultra runner. And it's like, why? Yeah, you right. You need to do that. You're a dumb ultra runner, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's just by doing – and I, I, I'm the king of doing stupid stuff out there too, so I get it. Um, but it's like you, you can choose when you suffer. Yeah. And if you suffer in the beginning, it's not going to have the same return as when you suffer at the end. Mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. That's great. Uh, so what about uh, goal races? I mean, you've done so many different races and you do lots and lots of races, certainly way more than, you know, the average or even, you know, even the craziest of ultra runners. I mean, you do a well, I mean, volume of races, yeah, right? Yeah. Historically. And so uh, things change though, right? Like, you know, whatever. I mean, we have a circumstance right now where lots of people oh, yeah. are not even going to work. Uh, you right. know, we can't even do our normal runs. Yeah, right. So it's, you know, those things change. And so lots and lots, all the, you know, the stuff that I was signed up for, it's all canceled. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've lost, know. uh, four events already. Three? Yeah. 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 Right. So, I mean, I was doing, I was well, going to do the broken arrow sky race, you know, cancel one of the early ones to cancel yeah, which yeah. doesn't bother me i mean that's better you know i had a race that was canceled 10 minutes before the start one time which was oh not so great was that? that was actually iron man lake tahoe okay oh but we yeah we were standing on the beach waiting for the start when they canceled the race like in our <laughs> wetsuits like that was horrible yeah, that sucks. So, <laughs> so it could be worse you know but there's nothing yeah, you can yeah. do about that if there's a fire they have to cancel the race i you know i had one canceled the morning of the race i actually didn't go it was in marin it was a uh, 50k and um you know but i didn't go because i was like i'm not running in that smoke you know and, oh right right right, right. but those things happen yeah i mean they do happen right and yeah. 
and so you have to make shifts. And if you have goal races, it's, it's really tough, right? Because you plan out this long-term training thing with all these progressions and stuff. And then a race gets canceled and maybe they're going to put it back on the calendar. You know, some people have had races move just until May, which I don't really know how optimistic it is to think that those races are going to happen in May. Right. If just right. moving them up two months doesn't seem to me, it doesn't seem realistic, but I don't know. Um, it, but it's got to be hard for athletes who, you know, it's kind of their first thing or they're really not doing that many races. Mm-hmm. You know, how do people, what do you do when people talk to you and they really, you obviously you can see they need some, to make some kind of mental shift. They just can't figure out what to do. Right. Well, I think uh, for me right now, um, I mean, with all my athletes too, and we're all on the same page on this, so it works out yeah. well, we're not training right yeah. now. Um, we're, we're, I mean, we're still going and we're still moving, uh, but pretty much all of our races are canceled. You yeah. know, um, I think, actually, I don't think anybody has anything on their calendar right now. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have to go back and redo calendars later. Right. Um, but that's it. I mean, right now, I don't think it's a good idea to train for an event. Right. Uh, I don't think it's, we should be out there pushing ourselves. Um, you know, just for like the, the, the possibility of, you know, like a compromising our immune systems. Totally. Um, you know, and it's, I think health is more important. I think we should be getting out and running and taking care of our bodies. Uh, but I think at this point, nobody has anything on the calendar. Let's just maintain fitness. You know, let's right. not go out there and try and do anything crazy right now. Yeah. Um, and the other thing too, is I don't think, I, I think it's our responsibility socially Mm-hmm. to not go out there, you know, doing all this crazy stuff. I mean, you know, um, I know like folks here living in San Francisco heading over to the Marin Headlands and it's just kind of like, no, no, what are you doing? You're not even supposed to leave the city. It's, it's, cl- you know, it's closed. Yeah. So I actually did something about this morning where, you know, uh, so like the, in the East Bay, a lot of the open mm-hmm. space for preserves, they're open and most people are kind of following the rules, you know, and and they're really trying all that. But Man, the stuff right. that's in Marin, like, and I have, you know, friends over there, like, posting selfies, you know, with a sort of wink icon, like, oh, yeah, social distancing, yeah. you know, the headlands is closed. I'm like, man, that's just like, this is like setting a bad example. And it's really not yeah, exactly. reflecting well on exactly. our community, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it, there was the same thing in Tahoe with, they had to put signs up at all the ski resorts telling people that you're not allowed to ski uphill, mm-hmm. you know. Because so many people are going up there and uh, just going skiing. It's the exact same problem, mm-hmm. you know. And so it seems kind of crazy that they close, like, the entire Marin Headlands. Um, but, you know, <laughs> people are just not following directions. So if you can't follow directions, then they get closed. And yeah. and I do think that, um, you know, you're right. It's like it's important to continue to move, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, moving for health will keep you healthier. Mm-hmm. And not running will not make you healthier. It will not really help your immune system. And yet you don't want to go out and do hours of hill repeats and right. compromise right. your immune system, rebuilding tissue, totally. you know, but it is a good time to stay healthy. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a time and a place. Right. And the yeah. other big thing too is, I mean, just, you know, CV can affect your lungs right. <laughs> is my thing and right. it can scar lung tissue. And so right. uh, really a risk and reward, right? We were talking right. about, you know, earlier in the, the show and, you know, like, do you risk that injury or do you whatever? Well, mm-hmm. here it is. And nobody has a race coming up. Right. Is it worth the risk? And I say no, you know, and that's, you know, I'm, I'm my clients. It's the same thing. I'm like, you guys, we're not, 
we're not doing speed work right now. We're doing maintenance, you know, we're yeah. not doing, and we're not going long. Yeah. You know, I'm like, you know, get out for an hour or two, yeah. you know, but you get out to stay healthy, get out because you need the air because you enjoy this and you love it. But right. that's it. You know, I mean, we don't, we don't, I don't want people like pushing themselves too hard right now. Yeah. Just to, yeah it's, and it, it's my responsibility too, as a coach, I think. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's good advice. So, you know, I know right now it's like you technically don't have a goal race since nothing is on the calendar, but in terms mm-hmm. of like, and you can't choose one because who knows, right. could be this summer, could be this fall, could be next year. Who knows? Like when we'll actually get to have races back on the calendar, but do you have any kind of, um, sort of dream race that you've never done like any is there oh, anything still that you're like ah. that you've never done that you're like you wow. know i actually would really like to do that um right now no <laughs> <laughs> i do have I, i've got a a project um that i want to do it's just it's, it's a personal stupid uh run that i guess would probably be that um i haven't yeah, I guess we'll talk about it. It shouldn't make a difference. Um, a couple of years back at the uh, starting line for Quad Dipsy, mm-hmm. uh, John Menger comes up and whispers in my ear, knowing full well what this is going to do. Uh, he just comes up, whispers in my ear, hey, Ken, you know the record is quad, quad. And I'm like, hmm. So somebody's run it 16 wow. times, yeah, basically. And I was like, 16 sounds easy. Yeah, I mean, well, compared, you know, but it, it, where you're at, right? And so I'm like, I can definitely do 16, no problem. And then I was thinking, hmm, well, this year, uh, it would be uh, Thanksgiving is Thursday, my birthday, and it'd be my 50th birthday, so kind of the same oh, thing, right. my present, um, is Friday, and then Quad Dipsy is Saturday. So I was thinking if I started on Thursday, I could knock out at least 20. Uh, yeah, right. Before the start of Quad. You wow. know? <laughs> Yeah, and so that's that's kind of my dream right now. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. As far as races go, I don't know. It's it's kind of crazy. I've got um, six days at the fair. Mm-hmm. I keep saying that it's six days is a dome. Six days at the fair is a different six day. Uh, it's a great race though too. They just po- postponed too. Actually, yesterday. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, six days in the dome is at the end of July. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I don't know. They put up a notice yesterday. They're still working on making the event happen. Mm. But I don't know, you know, I mean, I don't want to train for a multi-day race right now. I mean, because right. that means running like 30 miles a day, right? you know, um, and it's like, if I'm, I'm going to be running that in July, I should be out here doing that now, right? Yeah. Uh, so we'll see. I might, even if the race goes on, I might drop that. Yeah. Um, even though I'm already signed up, that'll be like a pretty big registration hit. Um, and if that's the case, I'm probably going to do Headlands 100 here in the city mm-hmm. instead. But I don't know. I mean, because the other thing, too, I'm a waiter. Yeah. You know, and I may have to go look for a new job. Right. I don't know where restaurants are going in the city, but I do know it's going to be different. You know, I mean, it's, we're not going to be able to pack people in like we used to. Right. And we used to need to do that. Right. To, um, you know, to keep things solvent, I guess. Well, the space uh, is expensive real estate. I mean, if you oh, don't, heck, I yeah, mean, it's yeah. not complicated, right? It's math. Right, right, I mean, right. Totally. And that's it. And in San Francisco too, for folks not in the Bay area, um, it's, we pack them in here. It's, it's mm-hmm. crazy. Like it's tables. You're not going to have tables six feet apart. You know I mean? If, no if we took any restaurant in the city, um, we would diminish their capacity by probably two thirds at the very least. 
having tables six feet apart, uh, which is what we're going to have to do. And I don't think most restaurants would be able to stay open. Yeah, right. You know, with that, you know, unless they find other ways to bring in money, um, you know, maybe the carryout businesses seems to be booming these days. If that continues, I don't know. You know, it's yeah. Just, yeah, I mean, you have to find a new career, right? <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, it's true. It's like, it's really interesting though. And, and so many restaurants in San Francisco, you know, there's like a line of those tiny little tables. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. effectively at your own table, but truthfully, it could be one long bench that's 50 feet long. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's the place I work. We have that bench, actually. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a right. line of banquets, the tables. I mean, the tables are going to be, the furthest they get apart is like two feet. Right, exactly. Yeah, and then some are even closer. Yeah. yeah, So that's the thing for me is I don't know where my racing is going to go, you know, because, I mean, it's like, I mean, I do have sponsors that help a lot, Mm -hmm. um, you know, with gear and this, that, the other thing, and comp entries occasionally. Um, But, uh, yeah, I don't don't know, really honestly, like, when we get back, you know, and I'm probably going to have to work. 24 7 if i can you know it's well, like, yeah there's a know, lot of so, yeah yeah i yeah, mean so. lots of injury uh, industries it's going to be very interesting to oh, see, everywhere everywhere you know yeah. i mean even in medicine right like yeah. uh you know there's so many because we're you know everybody's telling patients like don't come into the office you know all these yeah, things yeah, are totally. <laughs> um you know and it's like my you know my son's an orthodontist right oh yeah huh? yeah you can't do that like remote month and yeah. you know and it's very difficult to get appointments anyway i'm like What's going to happen when they finally open the floodgates? You know, right, right. like that's going to, how are they going to catch up? And so many industries, I think it's very similar. There's so many people are going to be trying to play catch up and mm-hmm. it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. But unfortunately uh, you have the, the online aspect that you do. So that's uh, got to be helping a lot, right? Yeah, it is. It's, it's been very interesting. I've gotten calls from so many different runners that probably would not have called me because they have the regular doctors, but they call me because yeah, okay, the there doctors you go. say, yeah. well, I, you know, my doctor said I should come in for an injection, but I don't really want to do that because yeah. I just don't want to go into the office. It's not the injection that scares me. I just don't want to go into the office. Is there anything uh-huh. else I can do? Yeah. And it never would have occurred to me that people would be so concerned about that, but it obviously makes sense, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's another one of those things, which, you know, it's just such a unique set of circumstances oh, we yeah. have right now. Hopefully it'll be short lived. Um, yeah, we'll see. You know, but in the meantime, I guess, uh, this gives lots of people time to listen to podcasts like yours. Tell us about how you actually started that and tell us about the running uh, stupid podcast, you know, ah. how you actually came about with that whole idea. Well, yeah, yeah. So Running Stupid, um, oh, I started in like 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me, it was a um, kind of an audio blog. Uh, I still kind of treat it that way. And it was really, I did it to make myself more accountable training and racing for my first uh, ultra. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, um, well, the now canceled um, North Face Endurance Challenge in yeah. the Netherlands. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and crazily enough, yeah, this year, or I guess last year, uh, I became the second and I guess last person who ever finished that event 10 times because <laughs> yeah, the, the event's no longer. Right? right. Um, but that's it. Yeah. So I started it as kind of a, a blog in a way to keep things exciting and interesting and to keep me accountable, mm-hmm. um, in my training. And plus like, yeah, I mean, I was way out of my league on that one too. I finished that in like, like 14 minutes to spare, I think, or 16 wow. Um, 
Yeah, it was tough. And uh, now it's funny, like I can just crank that out, you know, but it's years of experience, right? Yeah, right. Uh, so yeah, the show started like that. And then as I became more a part of the community, um, I, I use it to more showcase uh, like people and things that I, I love or I find interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have interviews from like the front to the back to the mid, um, and just anything that, you know, I think is really cool. You know, I've, I've had folks like uh, Ellie Greenwood on the show, um, oh, yeah. like when she uh, broke, was it the first year? Was it the, um, yeah, I think it was when she broke the course record at Western States. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ann Trayson, course record Western States holder as well. Jeff Rose, actually. Um, you know, to folks like Tammy Massey, who just, I, she cracks me up, I love her. Um, or maybe a Tony uh, Nguyen or Endorphin Dude uh, locally might be somebody you might you may know. Uh, but for the most part, yeah, it's I originally started it um, kind of focused on the back of the pack because that's where I was, you know, and, and hoping to inspire newer runners to get out there. Uh, but recently, I think more, I just, I, I'm not that runner anymore. Yeah. You know, um, and I'm, I'm trying not to be like that jaded whatever, you know. Uh, but I, I have had a lot of experiences over the years, you know, like I've run over a hundred ultras at this point. Right. And I really hope to be able to bring that more into the podcast and say, Hey, you know what? Yeah. I mean, I do have experience. I do have, you know, tips like, yeah, bring, uh, bring sandals to the end of the race, you know, bathroom. Uh, yeah. 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 Cause I've, I've gone through enough of those where I've been like, you know, I've thrown out those shoes, you know? Yeah. <laughs> So actually, I, I'm pretty sure I have done that too. Actually, <laughs> uh, no, fairly recently. Come to think of it, I did after uh, Lake Sonoma last. Oh, Lake Sonoma! That's that's tomorrow too, or it should have been tomorrow. Right. Uh, but yeah, Lake Sonoma last year, I wore a, a pair of Ill, ill-fitting shoes, and I, it was kind of dumb. And yeah, those got chucked right away. Um. Yeah, but that's it. You know, I made the mistakes. And so at this point, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to like share those and that those experiences and kind of inspire people in that way. So. That's fantastic. All right. So anybody who's listening to this, who, you know, would like to be able to connect with you, figure out how to, you know, finish their full first ultra or go faster or just keep doing, do more events and yeah. avoid these avoidable mistakes that we call running injuries. You know, how should they get in touch with you and, and check in with you about, um, you and your personal coaching services. Oh yeah. Thank you. Um, well for right now, I would say now might not be the best time to do that. Uh, yeah. just because of, you know, the situation with shelter in place and, uh, you know, coronavirus, um, you know, but I am definitely happy to help, uh, shoot me an email at coach at running stupid.net. Uh, okay. yeah, I would say really honestly, yeah, as, as much as I, you know, would love to have, you know, more in the community um wait a bit yeah that's fantastic it's, it's when you do have that goal race then yes please call me and i i would love to um get you going on that but right now yeah i i don't i don't think it would be a good time to start coaching with me because i don't want my runners training hard i don't want my runners pushing themselves i don't you know, i want my runners taking care of themselves first and foremost yeah. You know, and it, that's it. It's the long game, you know, and then sometimes you, you have to, and I think this is a big thing in ultras, is you have to throw a battle or two every once in a while to win the, win the larger war, mm-hmm. right? And at this point, this is like the best thing we can do for ourselves, in my opinion, is to hang back. 
you know, and so at this point, a coach, I think, and, and this is probably any coach right now, would probably be not a, a good idea to start with a new coach. Yeah. Yeah, so. Well, that's, I think that's great advice. And I actually have seen a, a lot, actually, um, you know, ads on social media and stuff recently with people saying, you know, offering coaching services yeah. and saying, well, this is a great time to really plan and, and, you know, and start training. You should hire us for coaching now. And I'm like, and when I saw those ads, like to your point, I just thought, plan for what? Nobody has a race yeah. to do. Yeah, yeah, like, totally. you know, it seems a little like, uh, I don't know that unethical is exactly the word, but it just right. doesn't, it seems a little out of alignment, you know, to think that this would be the best time to hire a coach and start training. Yeah. But it's one of those things where, you know, now would be a good time to put a reminder on your calendar, like on your, you know, just a reminder that's going to pop up in a, a month and then two months and three months, you know, email coach Ken at running stupid.net. Yeah, there we go. To, uh, you know, now that I can actually start training for a race again. Um, right you know, and that's an easy thing to do. Right. But, um, totally. you know, it would be people to, I, I think if they could set a reminder to connect with you in the future, that would certainly be helpful. Yeah, that'd be but, awesome. that'd be awesome. And then, you know, and then in the meantime, what, just try to, you know, move, try to stay fit, try to, try to avoid people. Yeah. Um, I think the big thing too, is, is I don't coach as a business, you yeah. know, I, I mean, I, I charge 30 bucks a month. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, and it, it, I, I do ask for like a three month, uh, block, Though, right. just because I, I think a month isn't really enough time to do yeah, anything no. with. Uh, but I'm not doing this because I, for money. I'm not doing it. I'm doing it because I love it. Right. You know? um, and so for that reason, yeah, I don't rely on that. Right. You know? So I, I can say, hey, guys, you know, step back. Let's, let's, you know, I don't need clients coming in. Right. Um, and I'm also very selective with who I work with as well yeah. because of that. Um, but that's it, you know, because I, it, it keeps me in a position that I can do what I love, you know, and I can keep the love there and say, hey, you know what, let's, let's just do better, easier, and especially right now. Yeah. You know, and, and on the same token, too, I, I also do it that way because I, my racing is huge. Yeah. You know, it's my commitment. Like, I mean, I run, well, not now, but, you know, like a few weeks back, I was running 80 to 110 miles a week. Right. You know, peaking for my 48 hour race. And so it's like, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm busy. I'm going all the time. I mean, my clients do, like I asked them to, you know, get in touch with me 24 seven. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, for the most part, like I, I, it's not my main job. It's not my main focus as well. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I do give everything I can. Um, but yeah, so it, I do understand basically where, where, some coaches coming from and there's a lot of people out there right now that they're the the rug's been pulled out from underneath everybody mm-hmm. you know so there's a lot of people like hey i got i have to do something you know and right. it, it may be a good idea to start a coaching relationship with people right, right now um but i know yeah i'm not going to give it the attention yeah you know, i mean i'm you know most days i'm doing pretty well but i mean i still get overwhelmed a lot you know? yeah, sure. <laughs> we all do right yeah yeah uh, so it's, yeah, it, it just doesn't make sense for where I'm at and for what I think I would want people I love doing. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks coach Ken. I mean, this yeah, is fantastic. I, you know, I'm so glad that you were able to come on the show today and to share all of your uh, ideas with us and all of your experience as well. I mean, it really is, you know, I mean, even your, not just ultra running, but like just your podcast on ultra running is has been running for so long, you it's know, been a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it has been a while. It's very impressive. And, you know, so 
even from that, like I know the experience that you've gleaned just from the interviews and the people you've talked to in the community regarding your podcast is more than most of us will ever get to experience, you know, in a lifetime of ultra running. And then you have your entire catalog of experiences from all of your events as well. And I can't wait to see what you do next. Can't wait to hear about it. I'm sure you'll be back on track soon. And uh, I'm sure you're going to have lots of more crazy adventures uh, that you'll get to share with us um, all through running stupid. Yeah, well, definitely. It's um, I'm really fortunate to be able to do what I love. Yeah. And I, I think that's the big thing. And if you look at it that way, you know, it's uh, yeah, it makes a difference. So. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. All right. Well, again, thanks so much for coming on the yeah, show. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. I really appreciate yeah. it. If you have a question that you would like answered as a future edition of the Doc on the Run podcast, send it to me and then make sure you join me in the next edition of the Doc on the Run podcast. Thanks again for listening.